0818-715-815. Hello, good afternoon, and you're very welcome to Live Live. Now, you would have uh, read today in the papers, and it was widely reported, this fascinating story. The man is uh, Noel Bourke. He lives in Castlelock in Dublin 15. He was driving on uh, the M50. He was driving a Tesla car and he had his arms folded. In other words, he didn't have his hands on the steering wheel. A Garda Jeep was uh, in the next lane, looking down, so to speak, uh, on Nullick and um, the Garda stopped him and said, you were driving with your arms folded. And uh, Noel said, um, this is a car that you can drive with no hands because it has inbuilt autopilot and inbuilt one. We'll hear more about the safety features now in a sec. And But he was charged with dangerous driving. And Noel went to court yesterday, Dublin District Court, and he explained how the car worked. And the case against him was acquitted. He was never guilty. He's totally innocent, Noel And he explained uh, the various ins and outs of how the car works. Now, this is a surely a landmark, a landmark uh, uh, decision. Seamus Murray, Seamus, good afternoon. Now, Seamus, tell me you're not driving at the moment. No, I'm not. I'm parked at the moment. Have you got your arms folded? Uh, I do not. No. Okay. I, I would find it very uncomfortable to <laughs> fold my arms. Okay. The driver's seat. Okay, tell <laughs> us, you drive a Tesla. You contact us. I, tell us. Tell us how you can drive it without your hands. On okay, the, well, on the steering off, wheel. I, my particular car, I have it since 2019. I was one of the first people in Ireland to have a Tesla Model Three. Okay, and uh, I ordered the car with autopilot, and I also paid an extra seven thousand uh, euro at the time for the FSD, which is full self-driving package. Okay, which which is a beta package, uh, which is software that's under uh, development at the moment. But currently at the moment, I can drive along on motorways and engage the the autopilot on the full south driving. And uh, when I'm driving along, say, on the M50 that has three lanes, I can change lane by indicating the car will look around this, uses eight cameras uh, to look around. It's got 360-degree vision all the time. And... When it feels that it's safe to do so, it will move the car out into the next lane. And then as soon as it's finished uh, moving uh, there, it will cancel the indication and continue on. And it will also um, uh, maintain a distance, uh, anything from two to seven car lengths, uh, whichever I set it to. Uh, wow. with the car, uh, with the, from the cars in front. So just... So you're driving along the M50. You're in the middle mm-hmm. lane. You want yep. to go into the outer lane. All you have to do is touch your indicator to yep. indicate to go right, for example. Mm-hmm. And you could go back to your knitting or your embroidery or manicuring. You, you don't need your hands. Well, this is the, this is the thing that I was a little bit surprised about. In order to turn on this uh, feature on the car, you have to agree to keep your hands on or near the wheel at all times. Oh, yeah, it's, it's fairly near to it, fairly near. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, it, but you can do it. And it, it will nag you if you don't uh, touch the wheel, uh, say, every 10 or 15 seconds. And when you say it, touch the wheel, just tip tip it? Just tip the wheel, that's all. Just to let it know that you're, that that you're, you're still alive. You're still conscious. You're still conscious. And incidentally, if by some chance that you ignore the nags, Okay. Uh, the car will automatically uh, put on the hazard warning lights and come to a stop. Oh, <clears throat> and what is now, the nag? What, what, what is the nag? It used to be when I was driving, there was the three kids in the back of you there yet. Are we there yet? Yeah, yeah. Now, what's the, the nag? The nag on the car is um, you get a blue line flashing across the big uh, 15-inch screen that's on the car. You get a blue line flashing across that. Uh, and if you ignore that, then you start getting... Uh, Little beeps and and okay. uh, and then uh, eventually, <coughs> eventually a big red steering wheel sign will come up. Okay, okay. So you uh, just but Joe, if you ignore that, the car will come to a stop and okay. blow the hazard warning light. And then it will, uh, if you're still ignoring it after it has come to the stop, it will call emergency services and let them know where you are. Oh gosh. 
So you've mm. had your Tesla without uh, full uh, full self driving uh, mm-hmm. autopilot for what four years? Is that the same model yeah, you're in? Okay, September 2019. So tell us about the best best part of the experience. Oh, look at driving down to uh, Lyon in France and Switzerland. Uh, it was absolutely fabulous driving along there. And then there, when the war started in Ukraine, there was a whole gang of us Tesla owners went over to uh, pick up uh, Ukrainian refugees and uh, bring them back to Ireland. <clears throat> and uh, driving on the on the motorways throughout mainland Europe was absolutely fabulous. When you get to your destination after a day's driving, uh, you, you're really not tired because the car has been doing most of the driving. You were just a passenger as such, you know. And Tad, well, take take the journey to Nice, and I'll do Ukraine in a sec. Take the journey to Nice. What was fabulous about it? In that it's it's totally safe. Um, I mean, the, the 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 autopilot system won't go asleep. It doesn't get tired. It's continuously looking around the car. Uh, it has a, a thing on the screen called a visualization screen, which is a section of the 15-inch screen where it's letting you see everything the car can see. Okay. <clears throat> and as the judge raised in that case there, if an animal uh, drove out in front of you, it, it would recognize that and uh, have an emergency stop if if need be. And it was in the thousands of miles, obviously, you've driven. Uh, has anything like that ever happened where it... it the car did uh, break uh, uh, as a result of what the camera saw. Yes, definitely. Yes, yes, yes. Do you definitely. Rem- I, I mean, uh, one of the more recent ones, uh, uh, I didn't have the autopilot system turned on, but uh, the, the safety features are always armed. Uh, a cyclist just literally came straight across me and uh, straight across in front of me and the emergency braking system came on and it, it was like... I was just glued to the road. I've never experienced a braking wow. uh, lighting. It was very, very hard. And, of course, all the bells and whistles were screaming at me at the same time. And but, did uh, yeah, could, When it sees cyclists, it particularly it does not like cyclists because it's very nervous of, of being the man. It wants to keep uh, two metres from the cyclist. Rightly cyclists. so, yeah. And it's warning you before you, as you're coming up on cyclists. And, that. and you can see on the visualisation mm-hmm. screen the cyclists. An image of a cyclist. Wow. <clears throat> so, it, so it is because you and I and everyone are, are sick, sore, and tired of hearing about cyclists being hit by trucks and and cars. Mm. So you're saying a Tesla is actually safer for cyclists? Oh yes, 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 definitely. And okay. uh, than, than a lot of other a lot of other vehicles. Yes, it would be. Okay. Okay. It, well, it, I'm, t- I'm especially thinking of this country and cyclists, especially in in uh, uh, Dublin, the dangers. Now, um, I, when you're when the car is on FSD, full mm-hmm. full self driving, can you turn around and talk to your passenger or talk to your passenger in the back seat? Would you feel safe doing that? Uh, yes, but uh, at the same token, it has a camera looking at you. Uh, uh, the, the camera is located over. Uh, the the rear view mirror and it's looking at you and if it, you if you pick up a telephone or if you mm-hmm. uh, not looking at the road it, it the nag will come back again you know okay so then and, and yeah. the other the other sorry just one other funny thing about it uh, if you if you're if it deems that you've been um, if you've been ignoring the nags too long. Um, uh, it will put the car will automatically put you into the thing they call autopilot jail, whereby uh, you're not allowed to use autopilot for the rest <laughs> of the drive that you're on. <laughs> so it's very insistent on you you paying oh. attention to what the car is doing. But then I then I worry. You know where you said if if you don't touch the steering wheel, just tap it every fifteen seconds or whatever yeah. to prove that you're still alive. Um, it will it will come to a halt. Yes. But should have to, if you came to a halt on the M50, you'd be creamed. I agree with you, but um, and uh, when I first got the car in 2019 in a situation like that, the car would have indicated, moved into the, um, into the inside lane, and then it would have indicated again and moved into the hard shoulder, and then it would have pulled up in the hard shoulder. But there's a committee in Brussels that didn't like uh, this feature or 
I personally feel that I, I personally feel that it was showing up some of the other manufacturers as being way behind, and uh, so they 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 instructed Tesla to take this feature off, and they actually made the car less safe. My car is more safe in the USA and North America than it is here in Europe. I'm just looking at an article in the Washington Post. 17 fatalities, 736 crashes. The shocking toll of um, Tesla's autopilot. Now, since you, there, there's, God forbid, there's so many uh, car car accidents. Um, that, but, but have you have you been following? Because there is almost daily. Sorry, Joe, Joe, just let me stop you there. Uh, let me tell you that there's an awful lot of FUD going around in the USA about electric cars. Uh, FUD is fear, uncertainty and doubt. And, does, uh, and my father used to always say to me, paper never refuses ink. So I would, I would challenge that uh, article hmm. that you're looking at to be correct. And one of, one yeah. of, the, one of the reasons um, there was a strike, that, that, that major motor strike in the States a few weeks ago where Joe Biden was on one picket line and Donald Trump tried to get on another picket line. But one of the reasons was the move towards electric cars. There was going to be a lot of jobs lost and... Didn't didn't Trump come out and say under my watch there won't uh, I'll stop anyway stop the electric cars but um the 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 advance towards electric cars is is unstoppable. By the way, when you were driving to Ukraine, uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's the car is fully electric. How did you manage charging it? Well, uh, there's there's uh, absolutely tons of chargers in mainland Europe. Yeah, and then the other thing was that Elon Musk paid for the electricity we used. How did he do that? He uh, credited our Tesla account because of because of the humanitarian nature of your your task of the, of the journey that we took. And how many of you drove over in Teslas? I was in one uh, one uh, convoy where there was uh, uh, fourteen of us, and uh, there was at least three or four other convoys that I wasn't on. But uh, it was organised by the Irish Tesla owners group. Wow. And then the people, yeah. where did you go to pick up uh, In refugees? In my particular case, uh, I went to Frankfurt in Germany because the Red Cross brought all our passengers uh, from uh, the Ukraine to uh, to Frankfurt in Germany. Okay, and you brought them, did many come back to Ireland? Uh, well, I mean, I brought back a young family that had their house, they were in um, Mariupol, they lived in Mariupol oh, of course, in yeah, the Ukraine, yeah. and as we all know, that was devastated. Yeah. That was raised mm. raised to the ground. Absolutely. Yeah. Raised, raised to the ground. So, have you ever, okay, how long, one question, then a second one. How long did it take you to get used to the the? the the Tesla and all these uh, bells and whistles, primarily around safety. And two, did you ever think of of getting rid of it? So, question one: How long? Oh, uh, very quick, absolutely very quick. And you learn to trust the system uh, uh, very quickly as well. And then the other thing is, is we're constantly getting software updates, uh, getting major improvements all the time. Um, Tesla in the in US are working very hard on making it level five, uh, so full self driving, where you won't even have a need to have a steering wheel in the car. Okay. <clears throat> and then, I mean, did you, so so the second an, second answer is second question is redundant. You've never thought of giving it back. Oh, absolutely not. One of the things I hate is is that. Um, if I change this car to another uh, car, I would hate having uh, not having the, 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 the full self-driving. It makes the car much, much, uh, much safer. I mean, Joe, as you know, um, 95% of road traffic accidents are caused by people. And if you can eliminate uh, 95% of the, the cause, you're going, to, you're going to be, you know, cutting down on road traffic accidents worldwide. Okay. Are you a car expert, Seamus? No. You're just just an expert in, in and how do you yeah. find how do you find charging points in Ireland? Well, I do ninety five percent of my charging at home. Both my wife and I we both have electric cars and yeah. we're 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 able to manage fine. But that um, means you have you have to have a charger at home, you have to have a driveway. 
yes, I have to have a driveway. Yes, indeed, mm-hmm. yes. But I mean, there, there, there's there's people that uh, that don't have uh, their own driveway can yeah. still manage. You know, no, I know, yes. I know. Um, and then the uh, the I, I I don't know whether to laugh or cry when I heard an ESB ad today. We're rolling out fifty. 50, 5 high-speed chargers. That's nothing. Nothing, no. Nothing. nothing. No, no, it's not, no. I mean, some of the charges I went into in Europe, uh, charging stations, I mean, they had uh, 16 charge charge wow. points that, I, uh, that you could plug into. Uh, some had 35 and another one had 62. Six, and how long does it take the Tesla to Tesla to, to, to juice up? When you're on a long journey, the best way, the fastest way, if you're in a hurry, is to keep the car, the car charged under 50, 60, 70 percent and then pull into a charge station uh, when you're anything from uh, 5 percent upwards, you know. Uh, the car will charge quicker. The, the, when you pull into the charge point, okay. the, the, the lower the level of energy in the battery, like 5, 10 percent, the quicker it will charge. And then if you only charge it up to... Um, 50 or 60 percent then you'll only be there 10 minutes or something like that and okay. you move along i mean personally i think it's much safer to be driving every uh no no more than 15 or uh sorry 150 200 kilometers at a time yeah absolutely but the car my car is capable of driving um over way over 400 kilometers but i have to be honest with you my bladder won't last that long I understand. I understand. but but seamus what about range anxiety None whatsoever. None whatsoever. My, my car, when I got it, has had a range of 520 kilometres. Uh, realistically, it's, it's, a, it's about 430, you know. <coughs> it all depends on how you're driving. My wife's car, it has a range of 220 kilometres, and we've driven that to London. Incredible. Now, how can Elon Musk make such a good job out of Tesla and make such a mess out of Twitter? I mean, all he's done, all he's done is remove the people from Twitter that tell lies. Okay. I mean, what's wrong with that? Okay. Even you know? change the name. Okay. Uh, so, Seamus, God, you're, you, you don't, you don't. I know you don't. It's a facetious question, but you're, you're an incredible. Uh, how much are, the, how much are these cars to buy? Oh, they've come way down in price. I was only met uh, somebody last night with a Tesla Model Y in my local Lidl. They had paid forty six thousand for it, which was, and I uh, back in twenty nineteen, I'd paid over seventy for mine. You know, so the the prices of them have come way down. So the unfortunate thing about Teslas is they don't advertise on on TV and radio and that. You know, mm-hmm. and so therefore, people the only people that will find out about the price of them and what value they are is uh, the people that literally go online. And one of the one of the great things that Tesla have is a referral code. Every Tesla driver has a thing called a referral code and if, if people use your referral code, uh, like for instance if you were going to buy one tomorrow, if you use my referral code, you would get 500 euro off the cost of your Tesla plus you would get 1500 kilometers of free charging on the Tesla network and then the benefit to me is, is that I would get uh, another 1500 <clears throat> free kilometers of charging be, so, But you still, you're say, you say you can... Um you can get it much cheaper now, but you didn't. Mm. You, you didn't tell me how much you paid. Do you want? I to? paid over seventy for mine. Oh, okay, okay. But, but uh, yeah, bear in mind that I was over three and a half years waiting on mine. I bought my one off the plan. As such, I mean, I bought. I put a thousand euro deposit down on mine before any of them had been manufactured, even in America. Wow. Uh, so I was three and a half years waiting in mine, but now you'd be only two or three weeks waiting on the Tesla. And what, what did you drive before your world changed with the Tesla? Uh, a, ty- a Toyota Prius. Okay. <clears throat> and I have to say, I have to say, I'm very disappointed with them because they've really dropped the ball on this whole issue now. Uh, so they have. They should be leading the electric car mm. vehicle market at the moment. But, and it, 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 Toyota make great cars. Don't get me wrong; they make great cars. But uh, they really want people to stay with um, with cars to have a lot of mechanical parts in them. See, okay. an electric car, an electric car, Joe has approximately twenty, uh, around twenty moving parts, whereas a petrol or diesel uh, car has way over two thousand moving parts. Okay, case, 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 um, case proved. Well, well, I, mm. you know the Beatles song, "You Can Drive My Car." 
You can baby, yeah. baby, you can. Did you like the Beatles? I do indeed. Well, yes. wait for this announcement. Shame is good, Amila Margot. It was 60 years ago, almost to the day, the biggest band in the world, the Beatles, played their only Irish shows in Dublin's Adelphi Cinema on Middle Abbey Street. That was then, this is now, and next Thursday, November the 2nd at 2 o'clock, worldwide, the final Beatles single will be released. Now and then will receive its first official Irish play here on Liveline. So don't let it be, come to get a twist and shout, it'll be a great day in the life of the Beatles you've got a ticket to ride all you need is Liveline don't let me down Thursday next 2pm Irish premiere the new Beatles single Look me do get back Rebel in my life feel like no one you can say talk to Joe on 0818 715 815 talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. You recall yesterday we were talking about the incredible difference in price between home heating oil uh, north of the border and home heating oil uh, south. 300 uh, euro in the difference for a thousand litres in favour of the north. And uh, people were queuing up as we heard from a number of the suppliers up there they can't cope with the number of southern cars that are arriving with drums and various other receptacles for the home heating oil and home heating oil one third of homes in Ireland that's their main way of heating the house uh, we asked revenue because one of the callers said you'd be um, you'd be in serious trouble and customs what the situation was now remember there's no tax whatsoever on home heating oil in Northern Ireland. There are three taxes on home heating oil here in the South. But this is what revenue told us. Make of this what you will. The Windsor framework applies to the sale of goods from Northern Ireland to Ireland. This means there are no customs formalities associated with these sales. However, mineral oil supplied into the state must have appropriate Irish excise duty paid to revenue. In the case of gas oil or kerosene used for heating, fuel markers prescribed in Irish law must be added. Now, the next question is, which is not answered, what is the sanction, if, if any? On the one hand, they say, this means there are no customs formalities associated with these sales because of the Windsor framework. Okay, uh, I am a little bit the wiser than the wiser. Now, uh, it was Friday the 13th, appropriately enough, uh, the HSE made a, 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 a Stunning announcement, quick, sorry, an immediate announcement there was going to be a recruitment freeze. Now, what does this mean? I presume, and I think most people presume, that it means there'll be no more advertising for new positions or whatever. Uh, but John has been a victim uh, of this recruitment freeze and he thinks it's unfair. John, what happened to you? How's it going, Joe? Good. Um, basically, what happened was I, I applied for a, a job at the HSE and uh, that was in August and I was informed that I was, on a, I was put on a panel Yeah. and uh, so that was gone that was I about on September the 11th actually of all days I uh, I got a letter back from the from the HSE saying they were happy to offer me uh, a position a formal offer excellent so when when that happened they then sent me out a um, recruitment pack mm-hmm. uh, recruitment pack this is where you get your do uh, you have to get your guard of vetting done and your um, occupational health and, and uh, references. So I was all back into them then and um, I was chatting to uh, the HR department and I was told on the Monday the 9th we should have a we should have a um, contract out you this weekend okay. or by the weekend. So I decided because I was in the job at the time I decided well look about this job coming up to me yeah I'm going to uh, I'm going to hand in my notice because I thought it was the right thing to do. Fair then I hear yeah. on on the Friday, I hear on the Friday that uh, the announcement's been made. So mm. I uh, I was on the wiser as to <laughs> for what my position is. I'd accepted the I'd accepted the job offer in September, and then the the uh, recruitment freeze was on the was on the Friday. But I was I'm kind of left in limbo now, not knowing whether or not when they're going to start re, uh, mm-hmm. rehiring people or if I'm going to be still on a panel or, still, or is my job 
still there for me. Or but why, why, why did you become a victim of the recruitment freeze when you had been already recruited? I hadn't been. I hadn't got fully recruited. They were waiting on one final uh, reference uh, to come clear for me, which um, I I believe that they had was was sent either on the Friday or they certainly had it by the Monday. So either they had it on the Friday the thirteenth or the Monday the sixteenth. Um, so it was just literally over the weekend, and then um, I got an email after after that mm-hmm. saying that, that was that was the reason that they couldn't fully fully send me my my, my recruitment package uh, or, or or offer me the, the contract solely because the um, but they didn't they say didn't to the, you. The well, I presume they didn't know uh, at that level. They didn't say to you, "Listen, you must have your second reference in by Friday." No, no. Okay. There was no time limit on, on, on when I had to... And when you, Obviously, uh, I, the process you went through to get the job. Tell us the process you went through. Well, I applied I applied uh, through the through the HSC um, for for the position, and I went for I went for uh, an interview on yeah, the twenty okay. eighth, and about probably about two weeks later, I got a. Uh, I let her back saying uh, well tell us about tell, no, tell us about the interview process was it five minutes itself, no it was I suppose for about a half an hour your um, panel of four people uh, asking me you know why did I want to go for the job you know yeah. what um, experience I had and, and just to give examples as to where you know show initiative um, it pretty, pretty much is standard like your standard kind of okay and did you have did um, you have to supply a CV before that you had to apply. I had, a, I, had a, I had a CV um, okay. uh, sent into them, yeah. So you were well on the road. Like, it's not as if they you rang up and said, I have the job, and they said, yeah. You were, you sent in, you applied for the job, you sent in your CV, you were called for interview. It was, yeah. a, it was a serious interview for people. Yeah. Uh, then you were offered a job. Yeah, yeah. I, had said, the, I, had the, I was offered the job on September 11th, so it was a full month before the... Um, the announcement for of the recruitment freeze came in, and um, yeah, so that weekend I was kind of scratching my head, thinking, "Say to my wife, you know, what's the? <laughs> I wonder would it affect me?" And then on the Monday, Monday the sixteenth, <clears throat> I got an email asking, um, "Did I have a, a start date in mind?" So I was thinking, "Okay, that's fine. I'm they, they're obviously going to process with me, and maybe I don't." I got in just before the, the announcement was mm. made. But then within an hour, an hour and a half, ah. I got another email back saying, unfortunately, we cannot ask for a uh, for a start date from you at this present time. But they had asked for it. You know, they did ask for it early in the, uh, earlier that morning and then transpired. And what about um, the job where you had it in your notice, like most people would? Yeah, yeah, unfortunately, I was uh, a, bit, a bit premature to hand it in. But I was under the the, the impression, strong impression, uh, that the contract would have been out to me. Yeah. Actually, on on, on the on the on the Friday that they announced it, and that's the reason because the company I I, I want for, I wanted to give them. Yeah. Okay. My notice. I didn't want to just land them and go. By the way, I quit. I want to give them. In and fairness, yeah, yeah, fairness. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm, I'm in the position now. I can't go back to them and say. Do you remember that job I handed him? I notice. <laughs> Can I have a back, please? Okay, so because you're so you're out of a job. You're out of a job. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that's that's the situation. It is for me. Uh, but, but the reason I contacted the program about it was really was there anyone else in a, in a similar mm-hmm. predicament as me? You know, where they had a, uh, accepted a job offer and were literally just waiting for the contract to be sent out to them, and did they have any resolution or? Or that you know, um, it's just because it's been a very grey area. It's going to be feeling a bit of a limbo, you know, as regard, regards it all. Because when I checked the, when I checked the media or when I checked on going online or whatever, the only reference that I can see is the announcement itself, or the reaction to the announcement, or so the reaction from Zip2 or the IMO or, or mm-hmm. whoever you know, or or or, or in, nobody from government or well maybe cer- certainly there's nothing from the HSE to actually say, well, this is how we're going forward with this. Uh, if you have had a job offer accept, uh, offered and you've accepted it, 
Yeah. Well, that's fair enough. We're going to process that. But there hasn't been, I haven't heard anything. And I don't know of anyone who, else okay. who has. And you know, how long were you on the panel for? You, you know what place you had on the panel before you were called for the job, so to speak? I was placed, uh, after the interview, I believe I was placed fourth on the panel. Okay. Now, where are you um, now? On the, is the panel gone? When you were offered the job? I don't, I, as, as, as far as I'm led to believe, everything has just been on pause, on hold. So I don't know if that if that means when they start resuming um, recruiting people, I just pick up where I left off, or is it a case of no that panel's now been scrapped and it's back to square one? You know, it's, it's just the clarity on it uh, that's that's lacking. You know, yeah. Uh, which, well, they said it's in a statement, but again. I'm, uh, why this is the main this is the sting of it um, why we cannot comment on individual we know the individual case we are honouring the employment of individuals where there is a contractual obligation in place this is, this is where I was finding a bit of the grey area because I didn't have a contract there was nothing there was nothing signed so uh-huh. in that respect but I was waiting for the contract I was, I was told the contract yeah. would be with me within the week and then the announcement was made and it all came to a grinding halt, <laughs> you know. Okay, and and would you be embarrassed going back to your recent employer? No, it's it's not. It's I wouldn't I wouldn't be embarrassed going back, but it's just it's I wouldn't be going back in on the same pay grade where I was. I wouldn't do okay. a job where okay. you know okay. the job that they've obviously filled filled the position, you know. So yeah, they are, um, and they also know that you that you had applied and got a job elsewhere. Well, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I wouldn't like to look. I'm not going to. I'm not going to burn any bridges or anything like that. But at the same time, you know, um, I'd be surprised if if they wanted to give me a job back. Fair enough. But as it is, um, I'd like a bit more clarity on on the, the yeah. job that I've been promised. Uh, you know, I hope you pick up something soon, John. Will you? No, well, will you, you start? Much. Will you start looking for other work? I've asked what I've been doing for the past week, yeah, <laughs> and okay. door to door, going to hand out CVs and stuff. So. Okay, but uh, and you're based up in Sligo, anyway, obviously. It's yeah, up in Sligo. So, um, but um, yeah, so, well, my the reason yeah. I said the reason I contact with the scene of anyone else who found themselves yeah, in the same in, situation, in yeah, grey area, yeah, yeah, and three children I see and Christmas and everything coming yeah. up. Oh God, yeah. yeah. Okay, fing- fingers crossed, John. But it's worth highlighting. Well, I'm sure. I just you're right. Are there other people have been been in that position where they're waiting, say for example, on guard of vetting that they've no they were offered a job and then you're told guard of vetting, of which they've no control over time wise. Yeah. And if the guard of vetting had not come through by the freeze, was that the end of their job before they even started? Yeah. It? Well, as regards as far as, far as I'm concerned, I had all my everything that I was. I supplied everything that they required me to supply in and that I wasn't given a, a time date as regards when I should have that second reference in. So it was uh, somewhere I fell, I fell somewhere okay. between the cracks there with them. I just said, no, no, no definite answer to okay. it all yet. So. Okay, okay, John, thanks thanks indeed. I'm sorry that you're in, thanks, Joe. in that thanks very much. cut between uh, two stools. And I should mention yesterday, Karina on the programme, who told her story of the situation she's in, it looks like we might have some good news uh, with Karina and for Karina, and we'll keep you abreast, but it definitely looks like we have, we'll have some good news in terms of getting accommodation so she won't be homeless. Joe at rte.ie. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Did you know as you go to all your football matches or watch soccer matches over the weekend that there was a match in Daly Mount Park in Dublin, an international game, that had 17,000 people in the stands, 17,000, and the one of the teams did not wear football boots. Did you know that? Because they couldn't afford them. And uh, we've been contacted with this incredible story by Ade Kunle uh, Gomez. Ade Kunle, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. How are you? I'm tell- grand. I think I've made it now. Okay. <laughs> tell, us, <laughs> tell us, remind us, what happened? What year? Uh, this happened in uh, August 1951, okay. on the 22nd of August. And uh, just to kind of give you a background... I uh, heard about the uh, Gold Coast team touring England um, uh, in 1951, a few years ago. 
And then, I mean, I didn't realize that uh, uh, they made, a, made it as far as Ireland as well. Okay. So last year, I was uh, going through uh, the Twitter and stuff, and I came across an article written by Gerard uh, uh, Farrell. Okay. And uh, he had, I mean, the headline was brilliant, Barefoot in the Dillamon Park. So I said, that's very intriguing. So I uh, read the article, and I also discovered that uh, not only uh, did they play in Dublin, but they played in Belfast as well. Okay. Then later on, um, Ken McHugh, our friend, yeah. uh, organized an event uh, on football history in, uh, uh, I guess, uh, uh, of all places, Dillamont Park. There, I met a uh, uh, Gary Spain, who has also heard of the story. And not only that, but he sent me uh, the program from the Belfast match, as well as uh, match reports uh, of uh, the team's uh, time in, uh, uh, in Dublin. Now, while we, they were here, they made a visit to uh, uh, the Martian House and uh, uh, went to see Tishok Eamon de Villar as well. But just before I came on, I was reading uh, the article written by uh, Jerry Siggins. Jerry and myself yeah, go back to 1994 uh, during the World Cup. And uh, so that's how uh, the whole story started. So, so, they, so they were called the Gold Coast Eleven, which is Ghana today. Yes, uh, before Ghana became independent in 1957, the country was called the Gold Coast Gold Coast, okay. And they came, they, would they have been the first African team, and, and, and I'm, I'm not including South Africa because of apartheid, but would they have been the first African team to come to Ireland and play internationally? As far as I know, they are. But uh, the first African team to come to the UK was Nigeria, which okay. was in 1949. And they also kind of uh, created a bit of excitement as well uh, during their tour. Okay, but did they, did the Nigerian team in '49 come to the the it come to era as it was then? I, ha- I haven't seen evidence of that yet. Okay, we might find out. Okay, now um, what, what what were they wearing on their feet and why? Right. Okay. I, okay. Now I uh, I don't want to speculate, but you know, uh, uh, Ghana is a warm country. So it's not uh, definitely not. Yeah, yeah. You don't need uh, like uh, to keep your feet warm. Mm-hmm. Now, what we uh, did, and uh, th- there are photos. You see, well, they were wearing uh, the uh, uh, oh, uh, oh, sorry, a hose. I have to say hose. Yeah, like not a hose. And also uh, something we called anklets. Now, anklets are just uh, uh, you wear on your foot, which yeah, uh, uh, yeah and uh, so that's what they wore. And, and an ankle, an, I'm sure an ankle would be like a bandage. Exactly. Yeah. So, so they just bandaged the foot or wear a wall uh, an ankle. Okay. And it was in Daily Mount Park and it was yeah. August 1951 and that's such, that's what, 70, well, 72 years yeah. ago. 72 years ago, yes. I presume, well, maybe there is. Is there anyone still alive who was there on the day? You can tell them what, tell us what exactly the the lads from, from the Gold Coast were wearing. How did the match go? <laughs> uh, well, the reports I read was very, very kind of a, uh, uh, a lot of praise for the uh, Ghana team. And um, I was just kind of reading uh, uh, one paragraph where apparently an Irish player uh, decided to stamp on uh, a Ghanaian player's uh, uh, foot. That ah. is from Jerry uh, Siggins' uh, 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 article. And it, uh, at the last set, he was uh, he, he was thinking that oh, the guy was going to turn around and then shout or oh, maybe obscenities in the local language, but then he just in perfect English said, "God, I mean, uh, I'm just uh, anyway." So uh, uh, he re- and responded to him in English and he said, "Well, you don't do uh, 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 something like that." Okay. Now they played an uh, an FAI selection. And uh, the, the, well, it was quite close. Uh, the final score was four three. Four three, yeah. And then they name. I'm reading a report here from the Irish Press now, on the twenty third of the eighth, nineteen fifty one. It says Gold Coasters lost, but how the crowd loved them. Yeah, and there's a, a quote here: "The Gold Coast served up football of a brand not seen here for a long time." Although they lost 4-3, the barefooted boys 
endeared themselves to a crowd which for 90 glorious minutes witnessed a wonderful exhibition exhibition the visitors ball control shooting power and teamwork being something which had to be seen to be believed and do, do we know how it, were these professional players at the country or were they who, who funded the trip uh, the trip was funded by the British government I think it, it, they okay. were trying to kind of uh, you know uh, uh, be seen as uh, well uh, benevolent so they funded uh, the uh, and the team to come over and as I said, Nigeria was uh, uh, in the UK in 1949, so it was a, a okay, general, yeah. the so it was kind uh, of a, a, a PR British Council. They do there are a lot of, but it was basically a, a British the British Empire uh, bankrolling one of its colonies to do a tour, a PR tour, really. But they exactly. th- th- they did well. And do you know anything about the Ghanaian players, the Gold Coast players? Were they well, all was, amateurs or? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, professional football only started in the um, uh, late 70s, early 80s. Okay. And uh, uh, one of the, well, the, uh, the guy who, um, CK Janfi, is one of the players. Now, he was given, uh, uh, well, uh, an offer by Fortuna Düsseldorf in Germany. Okay. He went over, but uh, he wasn't too kind of, uh, you know, keen on uh, playing in Germany. So he went back to Ghana. Now he also happened to be our uh, the first coach uh, to uh, lead Ghana uh, uh, then as, as well because it was 1957 to the African Nations Cup in 1963, 1965, and then again in 1978. Now the African Nations Cup is a very small point in Ghana now because the last time we won was in 1982. Mm-hmm. So we are still waiting, you know, for uh, our next trophy. Okay, well, Chris Hutton. Such a connection with Ireland, Irish former. Indeed, He's now indeed. the manager. I have very high hopes for Chris, uh, Chris Hutton. Okay, okay, brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. Okay. And and the team, the team is, team is doing okay, isn't it? Well, Dan. I thought it was uh, uh, one of my favorite countries until uh, twenty ten was Uruguay, and uh, uh, now if you mention the name Suarez in Ghana, oh trouble. Now, I was uh, hoping that uh, last year in Qatar, mm-hmm. the unfinished business would uh, end in Ghana's favour. But unfortunately, my boys disappointed me. OK, well, Ghana got to the quarterfinals of the World Cup in 2010, which is as good as we... Yeah, they did. Oh, well, yeah. we could, that's what I'm saying. We would, we would have got to the semi-finals only for Suarez okay. to stop the ball on the net. And I only, if only <laughs> there was a, a, a penalty goal uh, uh, as in rugby, we would have been there. Okay. Now, as we know, Bohemians Football Club, where Daily Met is their home, is uh, one of the most socially progressive football clubs in these islands, yeah. actually. And mm-hmm. they, I think they have their own historian. And Jerry Farrell is on the line. Jerry, good afternoon. Hey, Joe. How are, you, how are you keeping? Good to see you again. Uh, talk to you again. Jerry, is this in the annals of Daily Mount history? Well, it is it's something I, I came across, Joe, uh, and your previous guest there. I think uh, I, I met him at that event we hosted, a history event we hosted in Daily Mount in in January uh, to launch a kind of a, an academic journal on on soccer and society. And it, it's something that I'm particularly interested in because um, I suppose we often think of football in Ireland as being uh, really only uh, found in the main cities and kind of yeah. Ireland at the time in the fifties as being very white and very kind of monoculture. When in fact. It wasn't always the case, especially in Dublin, which was always a poor city, always had migration. Yeah. Uh, Daily Mount being the home of Irish football, bringing teams from all over the world there. Uh, that same year that the Gold Coast played, uh, Argentina became one of the first South American national teams to play in Daily Mount. You had a Peruvian and Chilean team coming in the in the 1930s. Um, uh, you were asking about early African teams as well. Mm-hmm. There was that all-white South African team in 1924, but even though way back in 1899, um, there wow. was a black South African team did come to play in Ireland, although they only played in Belfast. But they were the first African okay. team to play in Ireland, though, all the way back in 1899. Incredible. Now, do, do we know of any, Jerry? do we know of any of the, the Gold Coast Eleven, uh, their, their team or their crew, do, do we know if any of them were spotted by Irish teams and, and offered deals to stay absolutely absolutely there was mentioned there a a couple of times of of other games they played in in Belfast so they played against Glentoran and they played against Cliftonville and uh, their goalkeeper a guy called Tommy Wilberforce 
uh, had a great game but was badly injured in the game I think against Glentoran he actually went off and they used a corner flag as a, as a splint because he had broken his leg Okay. But he put in such a good performance. And then a few years later, he went to Belfast to study electrical engineering and he ended up becoming Cliftonville's goalkeeper. And uh, he played a number of years for Cliftonville, but he had a, a kind of a, a heart defect and had to kind of retire from football early. But he was, um, you know, an Irish league player for Cliftonville for a couple of seasons and was apparently an excellent goalkeeper. He was goalkeeper in that, that tour as well. And there is talk that a few of the, um, the Gold Coast players, uh, as your previous speaker was mentioned before, they were... Um, they were playing barefoot. They were playing kind of an old-fashioned sort of football. Fo- football. So imagine if a team came today to play against uh, a modern side and they were kind of playing the, the Route 1 Wimbledon 1990s version of football. The, the, the lads there, C.K. Gamfi, the guy who became the, the great successful coach of Ghana, uh, was saying that you know the, the guys who trained them, the English guys who trained them back in, in the Gold Coast as it was then, were still playing a kind of type of football from the 30s. So they were playing with only two defenders and they were playing barefoot in uh, August and September in Britain and Ireland when there was showers and rain and mud and lads stamping on your feet, as I mentioned. So they were kind of at a deficit, but very quickly when they came back, uh, a few of them were offered contracts. Um, uh, Gayampi did play briefly in Germany, as was mentioned. But what they kind of did when they went back is they brought back what they had learned from that tour about formations, about having a, a third cent- a third back, a centre-half, which was kind of a revolutionary concept for them in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. They brought back boots and convinced um, uh, teams like Hearts of Oak and other big clubs in Ghana that they should start playing it, wearing boots and playing uh, at more modern tactics. And they kind of revolutionised football in Ghana. Incredible. Is there any programmes from the game around still, I wonder? Was there, was there even a programme? Do you know, Jerry? There, there was a, a very nice match programme uh, published. Um, I don't have a copy now, but I think it was mentioned before. I think Gary Spain, who is uh, a real, um, uh, you know, absolute amazing kind of collector of, of Irish match programmes, did collect one. It was an official FAI one because this was considered a, an FAI amateur selection. And as you probably know yourself, Joe, the, the amateur games in some ways were almost as big as like the interleague yeah, or even yeah. sometimes the senior and international games. It was still a very prestigious thing to get an amateur cap for Ireland at the time. Okay, well, Gary Spain, you mentioned him. There he is on the other line. Gary, good afternoon. <laughs> Gary is a uh, good afternoon, John. supporter, Sorry. liaison yeah. officer with the uh, Republic of Ireland senior men's team at the FAI. But you're a, a, a historian, a, fo- a football historian. Have you got a copy of the programme, Gary? I, I do, Joe. I have, actually, and I have the two from Belfast as well against Cliftonville and against the Northern Ireland amateur side. And so do we know, it, it, well, it, do we know who represented Ireland that day? Who played? So the amateur internationals in those days, Joe, were actually huge. It was mainly younger players, but some big names in Irish football included um, the Fitzgeralds, two of the Fitzgeralds from Waterford. Denny Fitzgerald went on to have a great career. Um, Johnny Vaughan, the centre forward, had mm. Cork Athletic had won the double that year, and Johnny would be legendary player in Cork. He actually worked for the Independent in Cork for many, many years after okay. that, and and indeed the Examiner. So it would be. So what happened in those days? Amateur internationals were incredibly, incredibly prestigious, and a lot of younger players would actually wait until they got a cap to turn professional. And actually someone who didn't play that day, but actually played against England and against Scotland in the amateur game was the late Tarnished Brian Lenehan, who would have been Tarnished mm. in the 87 government. Wow. He was, sent, he was actually the regular centre forward for the Irish amateur side when he was in UCD. And a very talented footballer, I believe. And from a, now, there's two for for people today. They'll remember our own Brian Lennon, Minister for Finance, yeah. who tragically died so young uh, during Absolutely, the during yeah. the, 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 the the austerity collapse. And not terrible, terrible tragedy. It was his father you're talking. Also called his, Brian. His father, yeah, I'm talking. Yeah, yes, also absolutely. His father, Brian. Yeah. And yeah. and the uh, Brian Lennon would be the brother of Mary O'Rourke. Um, thankfully correct, still with yeah. us yeah yeah okay so um, do, were, were they actually in their bare feet and was it mucky was it wet so I didn't actually Can I heard reports of the game in Belfast was actually wet I, I don't recall the game in Dublin having seen any reports of that being a particularly wet day um, but mm. they did they, they did play in their bare feet and they certainly had the crowd in raptures they were any reports I've seen, they 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 were the crowd were very impressed with them. 
they they played a te- they actually came for over a month to these islands. They, they had a ten game tour, mm-hmm. uh, as has been mentioned. They started in Belfast for those two games. How did they do in the ten games? How did they? So they won two of them. They won okay. two in the okay. beat Barnet and they beat uh, in England and they beat a, a, a league. I think it was the Athenian League Eleven that they beat. Um, but Gary, when they and Jerry come in, and other can come in, when when the lads turned out on the pitch, the the Gold Coast Eleven, and they're in their bare feet, effectively, with just with those little bandages around their ankles and and uh, their heels, um, did no one say to them lads, do you just want to borrow a pair of boots? Well, so they were they were definitely yeah, offered sorry. boots. They, they were offered boots, and they actually turned them down. They said, "No, we're um, <laughs> okay, okay. we're fine as we are." And they, they were used to not playing okay. in boots. So, um, okay, Sherry, would Bowes would Bowes not consider running a memorial game where the two teams would be in their bare feet? <laughs> well, Joe, I'd love Joe to maybe bring another team over from 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 Ghana yeah, or something yeah. like that. And just on the point there, as Gary was saying, two of the players, uh, a guy DK uh, Gianfi, who we mentioned, and another uh, player called uh, uh, Christian Briant, they got a little bit of money for playing those tours, um, like a small kind of per diem sort of thing. And yeah. those two players were the two lads who basically used a bit of that money to buy themselves a pair of boots. So they were kind of the converse. They said, "No, this is the way." Uh, to play and this is if we want to compete with teams in Europe and if you look at what happened with the Gold Coast team within the next couple of years they're the dominant force in Africa the, the, the African yeah, Nation yeah. Cup wins were mentioned uh, there's a great story when uh, Kenya are basically finding independence because Ghana is, one, is the first African nation to get independence from Britain um, and they play Kenya in, in a kind of an inauguration game that they mm-hmm. got independence and they go and they beat Kenya 13-2 they beat Nigeria 7 0, which is still Nigeria's record ever defeat. So, a lot of those young players who came to Ireland and Britain had a great career there afterwards. Incredible story. And who, who has a story about Eamon de Valera was the Taoiseach? So, they went to see Eamon de Valera. And um, the Lord Mayor of Dublin um, was a man called Clerken. Is that correct? Clerken. Clerken. Does anyone mm-hmm. remember that story? Yes, yeah, so apparently he was. Apparently his name was yeah. Andrew uh, Clarkin. He died in 1955 uh, during the 8th Shannon. He uh, he died suddenly, obviously. Uh, he was Lord Mayor of Dublin from 51 to 53. Um, I don't know what his politics were. Some he stood for election. Oh, Fianna Fáil candidate because he said. This is what it, this is his welcome speech, Lord Mayor of Dublin Andrew Clarkin, to the Gold Coast Eleven in nineteen fifty one. He said to them, "We hope that when you come to visit us again in Dublin, we will be inviting you to a thirty two county republic, when we will be able to go from Dublin to Antrim or Belfast with one flag flying over our country and peace in peace and harmony and goodwill." with our neighbours. That's the Lord Mayor of Dublin, 1951. <laughs> that didn't work I out exactly, did it, unfortunately. So he died. No, he, was, he, he, was, yeah. he was He was in his, uh, he was only in his early 60s uh, when he died. Okay, so what are you looking for out of Cunley? Are you looking for anyone that was there? Well, yeah, uh, basically, yes, we, uh, we were uh, hoping that uh, with uh, your uh, uh, generous uh, uh, publicity. Uh, one, the players. Uh, I'm sure their family would uh, be talking about this, uh, you know, for uh, ages. Mm-hmm. And see, we want to kind of uh, bring uh, the different uh, 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 stuff of the story to tell it. Uh, and by the way, just to uh, uh, say that Stanley Matthews, the great man of, was invited to Ghana around uh, um, in 1957. So that, and also Real Madrid was another team. Uh, uh, to visit Ghana, and uh, I think one of the matches actually ended in a draw, and that the third team was Fortuna Düsseldorf from uh, Germany uh, in 1959. So that can be the history of uh, contacts with uh, European uh, teams uh, uh, go back. So yes, I was wondering if uh, one uh, there's anybody out there who um, had uh, uh, their parents or grandparents uh, talking about this match. And your good friend, uh, Ken McHugh, for example, he said uh, uh, he heard his father talking about that match. And what about, uh, is there any photographs? I, well, uh, only the ones I've seen uh, in the um, 
uh, in the press cuttings and also uh, Sigin's uh, at, um, article for the Sun, which uh, is dated the 17th of um, okay. uh, May uh, 2020. But I mean, part of the work we were trying to do uh, is uh, to go to uh, the named uh, sources. Apparently, they went to a play in uh, the um, uh, Theatre Royal as well. Okay. Now, I was even thinking <laughs> that uh, 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 if there is some... Um, uh, T.I., uh, sorry, T.Y. Uh, 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 class there, which is very interested in uh, uh, sports history, that's something they can, you know, uh, uh, investigate. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's a fascinating story, the, the team that played barefoot in, in Daly Mount Park. Um, and uh, any information, you can send it on to, send it to us and we'll send it uh, to Eddie Cunley. Are you specifically interested in soccer? I know you're from Ghana, Eddie Cunley, originally, but are you specifically interested in soccer or history? Well, any, any sport, but uh, my number one sport will be uh, association football, followed by athletics, and then the okay. others are just take a passing interest. But any, uh, oh, and Ghana also has a very good record in boxing. But for some reason, I'm not a great fan of boxing. But uh, if it comes to telling the story, I'll be, you know, uh, very much, uh, you know, uh, interested in, in doing that. Okay, I see on the Bohemian website there, it's been handed to me, there is a, a, a photograph of the um, the cover of the um the, the program Football Association of Ireland represent the match FAI 11 versus Gold Coast Daily Mount Park Wednesday 22nd of August 1951 kick off 7pm this is the official program will cost you 3 pence 3D as it was which is basically uh, a penny a cent in today's <laughs> today's money ok Ada Cunley good meal Mal Ada Cunley Gomez Gary Spain and Jerry Farrell well done ok Come on the balls, come on the balls. On 0818-715-815. Joe Duffy! Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. Anne Gilfoyle, Anne, good afternoon. Well, good afternoon, Joe. And how are you after your ordeal? Uh, I'm, um, I don't know whether I'm coming or going, to be honest with you. And when, Um, when did it happen, Anne? Uh, it happened um, at 3 a.m. this night week ago, okay. Thursday, in the early hours, for, yeah, for, 3 a.m. Okay, okay. So tell us what happened. Um, I had, I, I'd just come home from hospital, I had surgery. Okay. And uh, two days previous to the fire, I had 49 staples removed from my stomach. Oh, you poor thing. So I was, I was quite sore, you know, yeah. but could not off to sleep, was finding it hard and could hear every noise on the road beside me. Mm-hmm. So I decided I'd put in earplugs because I really needed to sleep. And sometime later, I woke to a strange smell in the house. Okay. Um got out of bed to investigate and I couldn't see anything in front of me. Smoke. There was like, a, yes, it it was like a black fog where if you put your arm out, you couldn't see your hand. So <clears throat> when I got to my bedroom door, um, I panicked a little bit there because I couldn't, the door was open, but I couldn't find the opening. Okay, I understand. To the door, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, with the, yeah. the, the confusion. And it was at that point that I realised there was something serious wrong because I couldn't see, I couldn't see anything. So mm. I knew, in you know, I knew I should get out of the house. Okay. And I felt my way along the counters in the kitchen and out to the back door. Good God. And just, do you have smoke alarms? Yes. And did they, they not and go this off? Is, the smoke alarms went off, but because the earplugs were so good, ah. I never heard the smoke alarms. Oh, my God. And this is something really important, I think, to get out to people. Mm-hmm. Um, I know of a good few people that use um, earplugs if, you know, if 
So I, I live on my own at the minute now, so yeah. it was just to drown out noise from the yeah, road. Yeah, yeah, I totally understand. They can yeah. be used to drown out noise from lots of things. People snoring, maybe, or yeah, yeah, a lot of lot of people wear earplugs. Are, they're yeah. they're front and center in most pharmacies now. When you go in, yes, they're actually a danger. In I will never ever wear them again because mm. I didn't hear the smoke alarms. And how much damage was done? Thankfully, you got out. I got out. Yes. Well, you got um, out because you knew you knew your way around in the smoke. In the dark. I did. I knew my own house. Yeah. I knew the layout. And I knew that there was a key. I always keep the key in the back door, even though it's locked. But if that key yeah, hadn't been idea. in the door, great. Yeah, yeah. I'd have been, I wouldn't have been able to get out. I wouldn't have been able to find right. the key. But people remember that. When you're double locking or triple locking your hall door at night time, you're locking yourself in. Okay, you, yeah. you're doing it to prevent intruders but there's as much chance that your house will go on for that you need to get out in a hurry so do what Anne exactly. does leave the key in the lock leave the key in the yes. lock lock so, the door and leave yeah. the key and in then, it. then people say no leave the key on the um, on the, 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 the sideboard or whatever in the, in the no. hall no don't you won't be able to find it in the dark exactly yeah and the more you can't find things the more you will panic yeah yeah the more I did, I okay. uh, when I couldn't find my way out of my bedroom, I did panic there for a second. Yeah. Um, and what do you mean? You pa- what do you, what do you mean you panicked, Anne? I thought I'm not going to get out of here. Oh God! Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going. I don't know what's happening, but I'm going to die here because I can't get out. I, you know, so I, I literally told myself I had to pull myself together. Yeah, well done. To get out that door. And you're only a few days after getting 40, many 49 st- staples, stitches. Staples, yes. <sighs> so you're you're now um, out you're now out of the house. I am I'm um, technically homeless only for my wonderful neighbors. Okay. I have and, and a ha- bed. And how with much my neighbors? Great. And how much damage was done? Um <clears throat> This my sitting room is gone completely, yeah. and the rest is smoke damage. Yeah, which is awful as well. It's unbelievable. So many things just don't survive. Yeah, smoke damage. They cannot be of washed. Of course, and I know that. I know that. My clothes, medicines, and furniture, I, and kitchen. I, you were insured. I hope. Um, no, Joe, I wasn't. Oh my God. Insured. Oh, your poor thing. I've had um, oh God. A few disasters in the in the years before that, and insurance, unfortunately, wasn't high on my priority list. Um, oh my my mother had passed away, and yeah. she had been. Uh, Actually, she came to live with me while she was having oh, palliative okay. care. Oh, you're such a good and person. And ten days before that, um, my sister died suddenly. So those those things put insurance, that insurance wasn't important, well, it, which well, it is. Yeah, I know, but it's also, you have to pay for it. It's expensive. It's expensive. Well, I know, I know, I know. Anyway, you were under you were under pressure. No, no, no one will criticise you for that. Um, yeah. And um, how, how do you hope to? What's the plan about get, getting back into? Um, please God. Well, the, the the plan. I can't get back in at the minute. It's smoke damaged. Um, Ceilings have to be replaced. Yeah. Floors, some floors, doors, sitting room window blew out. Of and I they, I do have cameras, security cameras. And the Garda forensic people brought off the cameras mm-hmm. just to rule out anything sinister. Yeah. Have you any idea how it started? Where, how do you even where it started in the house? In the sitting room. In the sitting oh. room. Okay. 
where it started is just unbelievable. There was nothing there. It's yeah. as yet there's no reason from the fire service. Gosh, I have, I have so many people to thank. Yeah. They saved my house from being burnt altogether. Um, okay. Ambulance was here. They checked me out. I was, even I was okay. Yeah, but they, oh yeah, sorry, I told you that they took away the camera box. Yeah, yeah, they're going to try and... and apparently, when I came out the back door, a big puff of smoke after me, and round the corner, I was just past the sitting room window when it blew out. Yeah. So I was lucky twice. You were lucky, yeah. And how are you now? Are you, are you in shock, Anna, or has it, has it hit you yet? I don't think it's hit me, yeah. Joe. Um, I had a very big operation that took a lot out of me. I was yeah. in intensive care and I had been on a ventilator. And um, it's just when I walk in there now, or I, I go to see it, 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 it hits me down. Yeah. Um, and is someone organising help for you and? Vincent de Paul? No, 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 no. I tried myself to, I'm not technically minded at all. And I did try to set up um, a GoFundMe page, Mm -hmm. but I don't know how to do it. You know, I I, I didn't do it right or I, I don't know. Um, I'm sure someone will, if, we, if someone contacts us, we'll pass on the details to you. Um, it's a very, very uh, difficult situation you're in, and I'm so sorry. And it's on top of, as you say, another uh, a number of calamities. Um, but you're still yeah, here. That's yeah. the main thing. You're still here. You still have your exactly. voice. You're you're on the on the mend. So it's uh, onwards, and uh, uh, whether the hope is still there, yeah. And we'll and keep for people to please remember yeah. about earplugs yeah. and smoke alarms. Well said, well said. And the key in the door. Yeah, the key in the door, so important. Let somebody learn, yeah. please, from my mis- my mistake. Yeah, it wasn't it? They're not mistakes, they're just what you were doing in your life. Uh, and, and you've been through a lot, and hopefully from now on it will be only... Uh, It'll be only positive and upwards. And and we'll keep in touch. And if there's anything else, you're in Leitrim. If if there's anything else you think we can do or advertise or publicise, please let us know. Mind yourself, Anne, and sleep soundly tonight and look after yourself and your great neighbours. Thank you ever so much, Joe. And your great neighbours. Thank you. That's Anne Gilfoyle. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Joe! Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. I have changed for the promo we're doing. It is 60 years ago. 60 years ago, almost today, when the Beatles were in the Delphi. And as I say, the uh, Irish premiere, they picked Live Line at 2 o'clock next week, will be the first to play that new Beatles single featuring uh, John Lennon and uh, George and Paul and Ringo. Looking forward, 2 o'clock uh, next Thursday. Mark McGrath, sound Beatles fan. Uh, John Riley is a researcher, bigger Beatles fan. Series producer, uh, Annette Egan, mega Beatles fan. And uh, Catherine Thomas is next. 0818-715-815 stays open until 3.15pm or email joe at rte.ie